You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Mary Gavoni about ergonomics and dentistry. Mary is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant working with dental teams for more than 40 years on clinical efficiency, infection prevention, ergonomics, and team communication. She has a master's in business administration and is an RDH and CDA. Mary, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk today. Thank you, Phil. I'm happy to be here. How important is it to pay attention to ergonomics and dentistry? And tell us why. Okay. Well, it's critical to pay attention to ergonomics. First and foremost, the injuries that can result from poor ergonomics, poor posture, and not so great equipment layout in a dental facility, whether it's in the clinical area or even in the business area, can be life-altering, meaning that either a dentist, assistant, hygienist, business team member can experience pain and numbness and limited motion um, from some of the things that they do at work that cause musculoskeletal injuries. Mm -hmm. But the real critical factor is that it can be life altering in that it can end a career. I have worked with many dentists in the time I've been working in lecturing and consulting on ergonomics who have had to quit practicing dentistry and some hygienists as well because they had very serious neck injuries and they could no longer continue to treat patients. The other facet of ergonomics is that not paying attention to good ergonomics, good posture and so forth, very subtly affects efficiency and productivity in the practice because if the team isn't comfortable with what they're doing, they may not be giving their best to their patient. They may not be willing to go the extra mile or do an extra procedure if maybe it's necessary because they don't feel good. Yeah, and this and this definitely affects their performance without a doubt. Yeah, it does. So tell us some some of the risk factors that are common in dentistry. Uh, and I'm a tall person and I practice endodontics for uh, not actually that long, 13 years um, before mm-hmm. I moved on to something else, but I did have back problems, but I'm sure it's related not only to uh, the positioning of the operator and the equipment, but also maybe even the body type. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the risk factors. Oh, sure. And you're exactly right. Because everybody's body type is different, the workplace needs to be modified for the different body types. And so we have three major ergonomic factors that have been identified by ergonomists um, throughout industry, and, and they apply, of course, to dentistry as well. The biggest issue that we have in dentistry is static posture, meaning we sit or perhaps stand in the same position for relatively long periods of time, cutting a prep, doing a scaling root planing, perhaps sitting at the front desk and on the phone, checking in, checking out patients, those types of things. And for assistance, suctioning and retracting, and we may stay almost frozen into place and maybe not in the best way with elbows raised or shoulders raised and staying frozen in that position without stretching and moving can create issues with muscles and tendons and nerves. The other thing we do in dentistry, and this is particularly true for hygienists, is we do very repetitious procedures. So hand scaling or even power scaling Um, for dentists, of course, cutting preps for assistance, again, the retraction, the suction, and repeating the same motions that can cause the injuries over and over again 
can obviously take its toll eventually, especially if close attention isn't paid to um, posture. And one of the most critical factors is wrist position. So many um, dental professionals work with bent wrists instead of having their wrists as straight as possible. So they bend the wrists and then they repeat these tasks, these motions all the time. The other issue that you mentioned before was equipment, poorly designed or laid out work areas, all of those affect ergonomics and can create um, risk, greater risk factors or greater mm -hmm. risk of injury, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and the trend over oh, probably the previous 10 years or so has been to design equipment primarily for patient comfort when it really needs to be designed 100% for the comfort of the team in the treatment rooms because they're the ones that spend all the time there, not the patient. Not Absolutely. that we want the patient to be uncomfortable, but no, nah, it's about the team. Yeah, so on that topic of equipment, what advice would you give our listeners about selecting equipment for the dental treatment rooms that would uh, obviate any risk or or eliminate most of the dangerous um, situations that might occur that could eventually even disable uh, a dentist or a dental assistant or a hygienist? The most important thing that I would say to dentists is buyer beware. Make sure you you really do your research on equipment first and foremost. And if you go to a dental meeting or if you go to a dealer showroom and the equipment representatives invite you to sit in the chair like a patient and that's the criteria that you use for selecting or purchasing that patient chair, then you need to rethink that mindset. The, sure, I want to have the patient experience and see what it feels like to the patient, but I need to sit in my working position behind that chair, behind that patient to see if it fits me. The patient can adapt. You can't because that's, as I tell practices all the time, that's the center of the universe. That's where the money is made. So we need to make sure it's most comfortable. So one of the, the principles of good ergonomics and dentistry is working for the most part, about 80% of the time from a 12 o'clock position. So behind the patient's head, that way you should be able to get your legs up underneath the back of the chair. If the chair back is thin enough and your patient is centered in front of you so that you don't have to raise an elbow or a shoulder in order to accommodate the patient's head when you're working. That may involve the patient adjusting their position a little bit, but that chair is the critical piece of the puzzle, being able to work for the most part from 12 o'clock. And that applies not only to the doctor, it applies to the hygienist, and it applies to a dental assistant who perhaps is an expanded function assistant, and they're working in an operator position as well. I also recommend that in the treatment rooms, there is an over-the-patient delivery system. Sometimes this is referred to as a transthorax delivery system. Some of the designers shy away from it because they think it's not very aesthetic for the patients to look at, but the beauty of it is that for the doctor or the hygienist to be able to reach their instrumentation, air water syringe or handpiece or scaler, they reach forward, which is the path of least resistance. The rear delivery systems, which were designed for practicing true forehanded dentistry, where the doctor doesn't even reach 
for his or her hand pieces require then that the doctor or the hygienist reach around, they twist their upper body and reach around to retrieve those hand pieces and so forth during treatment. So a split system over the patient for doctor, hygienist, instrumentation, and a rear delivery or rear support system for the dental assistants so that as they face the rear of the operatory, then they're only reaching forward to retrieve their items as well. Yeah, that makes total sense. And interesting that you mentioned that in the dental shows, I often see dentists laying down in the patient chair. Uh, and I don't, oh, I do too. Yeah, and they're just trying to see how comfortable that is and how luxury it is. And this is the Cadillac of chairs and it's padded. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure how many are actually looking at it from this, the side that you're talking about, which is really the most important side, and that's the operator. Uh, very good it information. Is. Um, so it if, is. if a dental team member is experiencing symptoms that they suspect may be related to their work tasks, what should they do? Well, the first thing to do is try to isolate what action perhaps they're doing. What are they doing when it starts to hurt? Um, If over-the-counter pain relievers or rest don't relieve some of that pain, then what they need to do is get a medical diagnosis and get it sooner rather than later. Many times people will self-diagnose and self-medicate maybe get some massage therapy or chiropractic treatment, which isn't a bad thing to do, but they really should get a medical diagnosis as to what muscles, nerves, tendons are being injured or irritated and what's the appropriate course of treatment. And one of the things that I find most helpful, and I learned this from a niece, one of my nieces who's a physical therapist, is that pictures are so helpful to those medical providers to know what kind of posture you're sitting or standing in or what kind of tasks you're doing. So pictures or even short video clips that somebody could record for you on a cell phone that you could take to that healthcare provider so they can actually see what you're doing, how you're doing it, and perhaps isolate where the problem lies and then design a treatment plan. But self-diagnosing and self-medicating is really only putting a Band-Aid on the problem. So you need to get a diagnosis as early as possible to perhaps intervene with treatment, but then also looking at what can you change in your work environment to prevent this issue from recurring. I had carpal tunnel syndrome when I was working as a clinical hygienist, and I did a number of of bad things. One was I went home at night and taught myself how to be a left-handed and a right-handed hygienist, so I could be ambidextrous, and all that bought me was carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands Hmm. because I didn't make any other changes like wrist position or alternating between hand scaling and power scaling and those types of things. So that actually ended my clinical hygiene career and not getting a medical diagnosis soon enough. And it made you essentially an expert on ergonomics through your own (laughs) misfortune, I guess we could say. it certainly did, and and it's made me want to try to help other people not to end up in the same position that I was, that I loved working with patients, and I loved doing clinical hygiene, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Now, do you suggest that the, any of the team members give the dentist feedback and vice versa, where they, one of the team members would notice that the dentist is in a position that is not certainly ergonomic by any means, oh. and, and suggest that, hey, you know, you're going to be 
doing this for another couple of months and you won't be able to do it anymore. Do you suggest that there's some feedback within the team itself? Absolutely. I encourage the teams to coach each other. And if they see someone in a bad posture to, you know, develop even some kind of very subtle signal, they tap them on the shoulder or they make some kind of a hand signal to remind them because most people have developed poor posture habits. And so they need to establish different, newer, better habits. And the only way to do that is through repetition. And what I find so often is that the team members get so engrossed in the delivery of patient care and so engrossed in making sure that their patient is having a good experience that they forget about themselves. They sacrifice their bodies for their for their patients. So absolutely, as long as everybody on the team agrees that it's okay to coach each other, to remind each other, it works very well if everybody has a heightened level of awareness. And then we look at perhaps at the beginning of the day, we have our morning huddle and we talk about, okay, let's review our good posture um, principles this morning. And then maybe at the end of the day, how did we do? How do we feel? But absolutely, coaching each other to to establish new habits is a great strategy. Yeah, it's just a very rigorous profession. It requires a lot of uh, focus and discipline on ergonomics to keep from getting into bad habits. I know when I was in dental school years ago, we had some experience and some training with forehanded dentistry and um, learning how not to lean over the patient and direct vision was a big thing, you know, especially before the, for me in endodontics, before the microscope came out, sometimes you just had to really use direct vision as much as you, you you know, used a mirror and everything else. Um, and that was right. the worst stuff to do is just to lean over the patient over time. Cause even though you do it for short periods of time for each individual patient, if you are breaking the rules of ergonomics, it, it compounds itself, right? Over time. It does. That's why that's why they call these cumulative trauma disorders, because yeah, you keep compounding and compounding. And and it's so interesting that in the nineteen sixties, seventies, and and in the early nineteen eighties, when the DAU or dental auxiliary utilization programs were common in um, dental school curricula. A lot of ergonomics was discussed, although it was called time and motion efficiency, um, and it emphasized posture. I was a dental assistant for 10 years for an amazing doctor who really paid attention to that when he was in dental school, and it was all about both of us sitting in good posture and good visibility for both of us in positioning and so forth, and it made perfect sense, but those principles are not taught in very many of the dental schools anymore. And so the the whole concept of forehanded dentistry is very foreign to some of the younger graduates. They don't really have much exposure to working with a dental assistant at all. So they don't really understand much about positioning and posture and so forth. I remember the DAU. That was the class I was talking about. And thank you for bringing that up, dental auxiliary unit. And one of the problems with the dental schools today is, and I've heard this from other KOLs that have been doing these podcasts is that there's just no room in the dental school curriculum. It's so packed no. with stuff. They most dental schools don't teach dental lasers. There's only two in the United States that talk about dental lasers. Right. So, right. whatever reason, this is, ergonomics is certainly. Um, but you're pretty influential in the dental education world. With you've written books and everything, you should have some uh, influence with the dental schools, Mary, to get the get well, them going. Well, <laughs> I have tried, but. Um, it's it is so difficult. They are so challenged. Um, and I'm I'm making it my mission. But what I have to have is enough 
um, corporate support behind me to provide funding and and so forth to be able to to bring those programs into the dental schools. If that was the case, then I think there might be some more attention paid to that. But I would love to see that introduced in in the hygiene programs. There's a little bit more emphasis on that with the hygienists, but still, I do consulting with a fair number of dental hygiene schools that I walk in the clinic and I see lots of horrendous posture. Um, and oh gosh, even on the on the cover of a national dental hygiene magazine this month is a dental hygienist who's in horrible ergonomic position. Like, oh my goodness, this should not be happening. Right. Yeah, that's what's going on. So is there any way uh, our listeners could reach out to you through your website? Do you have, because I know you do some teaching and training. Could you give us um, a contact oh, or URL? Absolutely. Sure. Yes, absolutely. It's www.marygovoni.com, and they can certainly reach out. I go into practices to do individual consultations and, and for lack of better description, ergonomic interventions for, for teams and mm-hmm. do training and help evaluate a workplace to see if there can be, sometimes it's just a matter of making just subtle changes of, of repositioning a patient chair or um, adjusting the heights on assistant and operator stools and in changing positions to make things a lot better and a lot more comfortable for the team. It's some, but on the other hand, sometimes we have to sort of gut the operatory and start over. So I, I hate when those happen, but sometimes right, but it, you have to best, weigh the difference. Right. It's the best thing long-term though, to do it right. Thank you so much, Mary, for your incredible information. And our listeners uh, are really lucky to have someone like you uh, talk about these important issues in ergonomics and dentistry. And I know we will be having you on future podcasts. So it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. The pleasure was mine.